everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'm your host, Josh. As always, I've got my brother and producer right here next to me. And today we are going to be diving into an absolutely bone-chilling case of a woman named Estefania Gutierrez. I want to go ahead and just say right now that during this episode, at some point, I probably will fuck up the pronunciation of her name and some of the other names and places in this episode, because we're talking about a case coming out of uh, Madrid, Spain. So obviously Spanish isn't my native language. Yeah, it, it's it not be tough to pronounce. So we've, we know very little Spanish, uh-huh. so we will probably struggle with some of this. But nevertheless, this is an absolutely crazy case. And the reason why it's so crazy and why we're covering it is because this poor woman died mysteriously after using a Ouija board. Ouija boards are one of those things that I'm very fascinated by because yeah, me I, there's too, something man. about it. I'm just like able to communicate with the unseen with one you through know? a board. Yeah. Like what is it about this board that makes it, you know, the key to uh, unlocking the other side? It seems yeah, that's a good question. But with it, you know, people are like, be careful. Mm-hmm. Don't use a Ouija board unless you know what you're doing because you never know who you're going to contact. Oh yeah. If you, you know, do a seance and you attempt to reach out to whoever's listening. Cause that's mm-hmm. kind of how it works is it's kind of like sending out a message into the, you know, the unknown yeah. of, and whatever's listening is going to respond to you is kind of the theory of how it works. And sometimes you, you know, something might come across that or something does try to communicate with you that may or may not be you know the person you were attempting to reach out to because a lot of people use them to do seances to contact loved ones that have passed and things like that exactly but if you believe in you know a good versus evil Mm -hmm. sort of narrative to the world and you know there's a heaven or there's a hell or there's you know a place in the great beyond that is where evil lies then you have to be very careful because Because you may be able to communicate with your loved one, but you're essentially opening up a portal or a door right. for other Keyword entities to, to come in as well. So that's that gives you a little bit of like background on this case mm-hmm. because we are dealing with a Ouija board here and a very, very disastrous ending. We'll just put it that way. But before we get into today's episode, I wanted to also re- remind you guys that we do have a little bit of merch left out there. Malharmerch.com. I think there's some hoodies, some t-shirts, some hats, some stickers that are still left, some grinders as well. So if you haven't checked out the merch yet, definitely head over to malharmerch.com. See if there's anything you want, because once we sell out, we are not going to be restocking. Right. And there's not much left. Um, I noticed on the site, it's currently not showing what is out of stock and what is not. Uh, but, um, you know, get it get it while it lasts. Exactly. It's going hot. Because, yeah. yeah, we want to... We want to, you know, sell out of that so that we can start working on a new collection mm-hmm. for you guys because we got some great ideas. All new designs. Like, I can't wait. I know. I know. We got some really good ideas planned. But also, today's episode is brought to you by Plush Care, HelloFresh, and Care Of. Now, let's go ahead and dive into the absolutely terrifying case. That is Estefania Gutierrez. What's interesting about this case is that it's actually one of the first cases of paranormal activity that was actually documented in a police report. So that's pretty significant. I mean, oftentimes, if police are called to a scene where somebody's saying, you know, some type of paranormal activity is occurring that is resulting in either myself being harmed, my property being harmed, or just they're freaked out and Mm -hmm. they want, you know, police help. This is one of those first cases where the police actually witnessed paranormal activity and documented it in their police report. And documented keyword because we've seen in the infield poltergeist case when they when the police were there, you know, they were looking for something physical that was breaking any kind of laws and they didn't they decided not to investigate that further, you know. Right. Because right. they're like, well, nobody here. We checked everywhere and you know, we can't explain what's happening. So that's cool how this case is like they they still documented everything. Yeah, this this case. I mean, if any of you are Spanish uh, listeners out there, or maybe you live in Spain, even I'm curious to know if if this is really as famous of a paranormal case as the internet says it is, because it it really is one of the most famous cases uh, in that part of the world, really. 
And maybe you've heard of this case, not from, you know, living in Spain or in that part of the world, but maybe you watched uh, the movie on Netflix called Veronica. So there's actually a Netflix yeah. film based on this, this case. A lot of, uh, I actually watched it. It's in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, the audio is in Spanish, but you can obviously do English subtitles uh-huh. and it's still honestly a pretty terrifying experience yeah like, absolutely they did a good job not they didn't make it too corny and i like how they incorporated like a a deaf and blind nun who who look kind of remind me of the conjuring nun and that's freaky yeah. shit that's, no it is it, <laughs> it's definitely definitely uh, spooky so if you haven't yeah. checked that out definitely do because it will help really put some visuals to this case and uh-huh. what this this girl went through so estefania lived in madrid spain in an apartment Portal number eight of Louise Marine Street. Her parents were named Concepcion and Maximo, and they also had six other kids as well. The kids were all school-aged, and they went to a school just a few minutes away from the family's apartment. They were all pretty good students and enjoyed spending time with friends and with each other. Estefania was the caretaker of the group. She was extremely friendly and cheerful with strong maternal instincts. She liked watching after her younger brothers, and she and her sisters were more like best friends than siblings. Conception cared for her elderly father, the kid's grandfather, who actually suffered from dementia. And even before his illness, they didn't get along. They fought constantly, and as the dementia got worse, he became hostile and cruel. And he would often say really fucked up things that would upset her. I mean, anybody that has had a loved one or a grandparent that has suffered from dementia knows that dementia is like just such a nasty, horrible disease that really just dements the mind. I mean, Mm. it really changes that person into a different person and usually not for the better. Usually it's in a very hostile, sometimes even evil way. Like they just really, their personality completely changes and it's, it's really hard because you you feel like you don't know that person anymore. That person you loved and cared for has all of a sudden changed. Or, I mean, there's lots of other of symptoms uh-huh. to dementia and other effects of it. But despite the grandfather really not treating the rest of the, the family very well, especially the grandchildren, this still did not stop some of them from, you know, still trying to care for him and spend time with him. Because Maria and Ella especially remembered her grandfather as affectionate and loving And so this was very hard for her, very sad. And when he would say mean things to her, she just believed that it was the dementia talking. Because it really seems like the dementia really affected him at different points in time. Like there would be times where he'd be completely lucid and fine, and he would be kind to her as well as her other siblings. But in early 1990, the family were gathered around his bed as their grandfather was dying, and they had all come together to say goodbye. For Concepcion, it was more of a relief than a tragedy. After years of caring for him had worn on her, it was getting harder and harder to deal with the stress. And before he died, the old man leaned in close to his youngest granddaughter, Estefania. He whispered, if I cannot harm you in this life, I will do it in the next one. And these were literally his final words. After his death, the family's life went back to normal, or as much as it could. But things started to change a few months later estefania was at school it was just a typical day classes and studying when she noticed that her friend had snuck in a ouija board which to many that don't believe in the powers of the ouija board thing is just a harmless toy i mean it is a it's literally in the toy section it's a board game yeah it's with all the other board exactly and you would think it would have some kind of a caution label or something but i don't i don't think it even has that i don't believe it does so that's what she thought as well. She's like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just this fun thing to play with that's pretend. But boy, was she wrong. If you're not familiar with what a Ouija board is, I thought it'd be good to give you a little bit of background information on the Ouija board. Because honestly, I didn't really even know the history of the board either. So the modern Ouija board was actually created by a man named Charles Kennard. And him and his group of investors created it in the 1800s. Basically, the way that the Ouija board works is that people sit around the board and they have their fingertips on basically a plan kit is what it's called. Mm -hmm. It's like a teardrop shaped tool 
uh, with a glass viewing window to actually see the chosen letters when it actually goes over the letters on the board. Because if you're not familiar with what it looks like, it's basically the alphabet, then there's numbers, and then the top left corner there's yes, top right corner there's no. And so when you're you know, attempting to ask the board questions, mm-hmm. it's supposed to move your hands to the different letters to spell out words or answer questions for you Mm -hmm. based on you know what your what spirit or what entity is actually coming through the board so the ouija board was actually like patented and created in february 10th of 1891 shortly after they got the patent for the ouija board they started releasing advertisements for it in the newspapers and they would essentially title it ouija the wonderful talking board and they claimed that it provided a link between the known and unknown and the material and the immaterial. And it just was sold at toy stores and novelty shops from the very beginning. And in the late 19th century, Americans were obsessed with spirituality and the unknown. And the concept of asking spirits questions became very popular. People wanted to communicate with the dead through spirit rapping, rhythmic knocking sounds to answer yes or no questions, or to spell out words with different knocks representing each letter. So over the years, the Ouija board has been viewed no differently from other board games, which I just find so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I, I think you can really connect with something that you may not want to with this thing. So you do need to be careful. I mean, there's so many stories out there in addition to this one that we're telling today. But really everything changed with the Ouija board in 1973 with the release of The Exorcist. And... And the exorcist, the 12-year-old girl, becomes possessed by demons after playing with a Ouija board. So it was pretty much after the exorcist movie that the board went from this harmless board game to a tool of the devil. And religious groups, I mean, I know growing up, I know even my own mother told us Uh never to play with a Ouija board. Yeah. I think she said she did one time. Yeah. I don't don't even know if anything happened. Well, she said she had nightmares for months. Ah. So... uh, because they believe, I mean, most religious groups believe that if you play with the Ouija board, you are opening yourself up to demonic spirits and sure, sure. or just harmful things. Uh-huh. I guess you could say at a very basic layer. But yeah, scientists dismiss this idea that you can actually communicate with spirits and spirits use this board in order to communicate. You know, there's not obviously any like scientific proof that they work. But at the same time, there are so many people who have said that they have done, they have communicated with loved ones or those that have passed, as well as had evil spirits come through that have done serious damage to them. So most people out there that are listening would probably say that if any experience with the Ouija board, better safe than sorry. Yeah, it, it may not be worth like all Is the it, harm that it could inflict on your life. You right, know? exactly. So in March of 1990, Estefania was 16 years old when her friend showed her this Ouija board, and she knew right away that she had to give it a go. So as soon as they got the chance, they recruited a few more kids in order to use it to contact a friend of theirs who had recently died in a motorcycle accident. One of Estefania's friends had actually been dating him, and ever since his death, she was desperate to try and reach him. Estefania may have used a Ouija board before, She and her friends had some interest and knowledge of the occult, but their parents obviously wouldn't approve. So when they found out that one of the teachers was going to be out of school that day, Estefania and the friend with the Ouija board snuck away. We don't know exactly where they went with the Ouija board, but some reports say that they either went into a bathroom or an empty classroom near the library. Also, we don't even know who all joined them for this session of the Ouija board, but we do know that there are at least three people in order to control the board, including Estefania. Her sister, Marianella, was also there, but she stood outside the door as a lookout. Their other sister might have been there too, helping control the board, but again, we don't know for sure. A boy named Juan Chacon later claimed he participated with his friend Antonio because Juan was more experienced than the other kids in the group, and he didn't think that Estefania had ever used a Ouija board before. So the group of kids all got together in a circle around the board, and they didn't have a planchette, so they used the glass instead. And as they began to ask the board questions, the glass moved around the board as well. And that's when a spirit named Baranica 
came forward. And the teens believed that this spirit was evil. Estefania was getting nervous, and Juan told her she'd feel better if she asked a question. And in response, a spirit answered and claimed to be her recently deceased grandfather. Meanwhile, Marianella tried to push open the door to see how things were going, but it was stuck. So she panicked and ended up asking a teacher to help open the door. And this teacher was Dolores Molina, and it took both of them pushing with all of their body weight in order to get the door back open. There's some accounts out there that say that there was furniture blocking the door and that the boys had to move it before the teacher could get in. But there's also a possibility that they didn't barricade the door and it was just stuck. But as soon as she got in, Dolores saw that the kids were playing with the Ouija board. It was also when the glass they were using fell to the floor and shattered. And when this happened, a strange smoke rose up from the shards of glass on the floor. And everyone watched as it lingered in the air and then proceeded to enter into Estefania's nose and mouth. When the glass shattered, Juan actually noticed that the window blinds in the room were going up and down at the very exact same moment. And he had actually been standing pretty close to Estefania, and later on, he said that he found a mark on his chest that looked like he'd been kicked by someone wearing a heavy boot, basically like a big, dark, black black mark on his chest. Later on that day, Marianella was walking down the stairs at school when she suddenly felt a drop in temperature. A cold force grabbed her and lifted her feet off of the ground for a split second. But after they were caught, the kids ended up going back to class, and Juan remembered Estefania screaming hysterically. But Marianella just walked away very calmly, which this seems like a pretty crazy traumatic experience for these kids. So it's interesting that Marianella's calm yet estefania is freaking out right may just be their way of coping with what's happening or something you know could be but apparently after this teacher dolores witnessed this event she literally left the school that day and never came back to the school to ever teach again oh wow so that had to be so real then like the experience for someone to quit their job like that well i think you know, in, in a lot of countries in, in around Spain and Spain itself, I know that Catholicism is a very, very popular religion, if not the most popular in those countries. So mm-hmm. oftentimes a lot of these schools are Catholic schools. And I don't know for sure if, they, if she went to a Catholic school or if just all their schools have some elements of Catholicism mm-hmm. in them or not. But it would make sense to me that she freaked out because they were they were contacting evil spirits or she witnessed some type of mm-hmm. yeah paranormal activity that just freaked her out and she didn't want to mess with it she right. was like i'm out but after this incident with the ouija board estefania was never the same before she was a cheerful bubbly person but now she was withdrawn and distant she still saw her friends and usually had a boyfriend but she had just lost that bubbly positive energy that she'd had from before the incident her brothers don't remember much changing about her at first, but soon it was very clear that something was very wrong with her. She suddenly couldn't sleep and suffered with insomnia. And when she was able to sleep, she had vivid and disturbing dreams. As shadowy creatures called out to her and haunted her in her nightmares. As a result, she got more and more irritable and sensitive as everything seemed to upset her. Her dreams went from just dreams to hallucinations. And she started seeing human forms with no faces. Plus, they wore long cloaks and tried to get her to follow them. Before long, she saw these forms all the time. Even in the middle of the day, they would stand in corners or down hallways, whispering to her as they wanted her to come with them. That is terrifying. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty common, you know, like we just said, our own mom. Mm-hmm. you know had nightmares after playing with the ouija board yeah so kind of i don't starts think that's like that, a I think. pretty common theme uh-huh with if you're using if you use a ouija board and you don't know what you're doing i should say because i know there are people that do know what they they're doing with a ouija board there is like a whole method there's like a whole guide to it yeah but if you get one and you're just playing the game uh-huh. you know with the instructions <laughs> in the box i mean yeah 
you never know. So it risky. seems like such a bad idea. I know. I'm surprised that that shit's even allowed to be sold in the toy aisle. Because I guess technically they'd be like, well, mm-hmm. it's whatever you believe in. You can't prove that it's true. Yeah. So they would. I guess they're allowed to keep it as a toy. But things started to get even worse for Estefania. She started having catatonic episodes where she fell into a trance-like state. And for 15 or 20 minutes at a time, she would just sit staring. She wouldn't react to anything. But she'd occasionally laugh for no reason. And when she came out of the trance, she said she had been walking down a long, foggy hallway where she heard the voices of these shadowy figures calling her by name. And when they came close to her, she saw tall, gaunt men huddled in a group, shaking hands, repeating, come, come to us. Then she started making strange guttural sounds and babbling in a language her family did not recognize. She also saw visions of the Virgin Mary with a slight smile on the wall in front of her bed. She started getting angry and lashing out for no reason, howling and growling and barking. She'd turn against her siblings and attack them in a violent rage. Her episodes then went from catatonic to convulsive. She basically started having epileptic seizures, which was a disorder that her mother Conception also suffered from. But for her mother, she never had the auditory effects of people calling her or the visual hallucinations that Estefania suffered from. During some episodes, Estefania's body would get completely rigid. Her eyes turned white and she foamed at the mouth. With time, Estefania's symptoms got worse and worse and her parents started getting more and more worried about her. So they decided that, you know what, we need to go and take her to the doctors. And that's exactly what they did. Estefania saw specialists in four different medical centers, but none of them could give her a definitive diagnosis. She obviously had symptoms of epilepsy, but she had other neurological disturbances that didn't fit with this diagnosis. And for over six months, she was dragged from doctor to doctor, getting all kinds of tests and scans. And without a clear cause for her symptoms, no one could offer an effective treatment plan. But that was until one doctor decided to prescribe her Tegretol, which is used to treat epilepsy, nerve pain, and bipolar disorder along with some other medications, but nothing helped. Some experts said that she was suffering from a psychotic breakdown, or even that she might be possessed, perhaps by her recently deceased grandfather. I was going to say, I was picking up on a lot of vibes of the possession related to Anna Eklund. That was, I think, the last exorcism case we covered, and I'm seeing a lot of similarities there. But after a while, Estefania's family members started experiencing strange things, too. Objects in their apartment would move around on their own. Appliances and lights turned off and on by themselves. Doors slammed and locked when no one was around. To make things even worse, invisible forces grabbed, shook, and shoved her siblings. The younger ones were pulled by the arms and then slammed into the walls. Her youngest sibling, Jose, Luis, would cry out as an invisible force shook his crib. Estefania shared a room with her sister, Marianella. And one night, Marianella woke up and saw Estefania levitating above her bed. There was barely enough space for a few fingers between her body and the mattress, but Marianella was sure that she was floating off of the bed. Then, they all started seeing these shadowy figures moving through the house and they would hear loud knocking sounds at all hours of the day and night. But it seems like, and was very clear, that the paranormal activity was so much stronger in the dark, and that there were some rooms in the apartment that were worse than others. The bathroom across the hall from Estefania's room was where the most strange of things happened. One day, Estefania went into the bathroom to iron her clothes, and as soon as she walked in, She started yelling and screaming for her mother. And her mom rushed in to see what was wrong. And Estefania said she saw a shadow. And the iron turned on by itself. And it was on. But it wasn't hot. As her mother checked the iron to see what was going on with it, the door slammed behind her and locked. 
they were trapped inside the bathroom. They both started screaming for help and pulled at the door. And that's when Maximo rushed into the hallway and tried to free his frantic wife and daughter. He told them to step back. But just as he went back to kick the door in, the door actually opened by itself. And Estefania and Concepcion were huddled on the other side of the bathroom, absolutely scared to death. When guests and neighbors came to visit the apartment, they also had similar experiences. Dozens of witnesses can confirm this living nightmare that the Gutierrez family was living in. Once a friend of Concepcion's came for a visit and felt something hit her leg. She was hit by a flying clip. Something had thrown it at her, but she had been facing the only people in the room and clearly didn't see anybody throw a clip at her. Other visitors to the apartment saw the shadowy figures moving through the house as well. One day, one of Estefania's brothers was sitting at a table with his mother when he ducked just in the nick of time as a glass hurled over his head. Oh, wow. It literally shattered in midair right in front of them. Estefania's strange behavior was also getting worse. She started saying odd, very morbid things. She told her mother that when she dies, don't invite her father's family to her funeral. She also has to be buried with a picture of her and her father, and she wanted it placed inside her coffin. She was literally saying these things like she knew her death was right around the corner. And when her mother tried to reassure her daughter that she wasn't dying, Estefania threatened that she'd come back and haunt them if her mother didn't fall through on her wishes. By this point, her epileptic seizures had just gotten way, way out of control, and her parents didn't know what to do. And the paranormal activity in the house was also getting worse by the day. The first time Concepcion and Maximo had to involve the police was while Estefania's boyfriend, Demetrio, was visiting. Demetrio, Estefania, and a few of her siblings were allegedly using a Ouija board when Demetrio fell to the floor convulsing and foaming at the mouth. Concepcion allegedly slapped him to try to snap him out of it, but it only made things worse. And so they called basically 911 and two police officers responded the call for help. When they arrived, they tried to keep Demetrio still, but he actually tried to attack the officers. So the officers ended up handcuffing his hands behind his back and tying his legs together. But despite doing this, Demetrio kept lashing out and seemed to have superhuman strength. He kept trying to break free when one of the officers said, look man, if you break the shackles, I'm going to freak out and shoot you in the head. A neighbor who happened to be a priest came to the apartment to see what was going on. But Demetrio tried to kick him, and that's when the priest said he was possessed. Demetrio ended up being taken to the hospital, and when he finally snapped out of this trance he was in, he said he had no memory of what had happened after they had started using the Ouija board. But he did remember while they were playing with the board, Estefania was upset, so he offered himself to the spirit they were talking to. And the last thing he remembered before waking up in the hospital was the flame of a candle rising toward the ceiling. That's absolutely chilling Mm -hmm. to think about. And it does seem like a possession because he literally blacked out, doesn't remember anything, you know, from that point when it started to when it ended. And to me, that makes me think that an entity or something is taking full control of his consciousness. And then he's just... You know what I mean? Yeah, it seems definitely like some possession is happening. I mean, uh-huh. I think if this is the same Ouija board and that they used before at the school, that perhaps whatever evil entity they reached out to there is the same one that they're dealing with here. Yeah, could have uh, like binded itself to the board, being an object or, to or something. I mean, or to the it people. took a form of smoke. Clearly, mm-hmm. something did. And Estefania, her health goes downhill. Yeah. And now Demetrio is having virtually the same issue. Wow. I mean, what are the chances that they both have epilepsy? Yeah, very I mean, it's slim. It's more believable that Estefania has epilepsy, uh-huh. but Demetrio? Both of them. Yeah, that's hard to wrap my head around. And then also, this is all happening after they mm-hmm. use the use board. Use the board. Mm-hmm. Very, very just, yeah, it's freaky. Yeah, for sure. It's really freaky. But this is when things take a turn for the absolute worst for Estefania. All right, 
let's get back to the story. In the summer of 1991, Estefania's seizures were worse than they'd ever been before. She was 18 years old now and had been suffering from bizarre and terrifying symptoms for over a year. One morning, Estefania told her parents it was her destiny to die before them. She said that there were dark figures calling to her. A little while later, she was sitting with her sister Marianella and suddenly lunged at her. Marianella dodged out of the way and Estefania landed on the floor, where she instantly started seizing violently and foaming at the mouth. During this episode, she actually lost consciousness. And when she came to, she didn't remember attacking her sister. And after it, she was completely fine. The day just went on as normal. That afternoon, she went for a walk with her boyfriend. And then she came home before dinner and went to bed early. But the next night, Estefania had another terrible seizure. Her mother sat with her daughter holding her hand while she convulsed and foamed at the mouth. Just like the last one, she lost consciousness. But this time, she didn't wake up. They rushed her to the local hospital shortly before midnight. But sadly, Estefania passed around 2 a.m. from pulmonary asphyxia caused by the convulsion. And because the doctors were so suspicious of this death, they actually performed an autopsy and determined that it was indeed a sudden and suspicious death. So they didn't just say that it was, you know, the epilepsy, the convulsions, that was the cause of death. They were, they determined that it was basically a mystery. They weren't sure why mm-hmm. there was no other signs that this would have killed her. Estefania's family was absolutely devastated by her death. Her parents and siblings barely had time to grieve her death before the paranormal activity in their apartment reached new heights. At 2 a.m., 24 hours from her time of her death, Estefania's family heard knocking on a door inside their apartment, and Conception believed it was Estefania following through on her threat to haunt them. She started hearing the screams of her dead daughter at all hours, coming from every room of the apartment. The family heard loud banging sounds around the clock, doors opened and slammed and shut on their own. Glass spontaneously just shattered and objects moved when no one was around, including their appliances flickering on and off. And in the mornings, Estefania's bed would look like it had been slept in, even though no one had come near it. And everything seemed to get worse at night around 11.30 p.m., which was the same time that Estefania was taken to the hospital. Maximo was skeptical, though. He didn't believe in the paranormal, and he wanted to prove that there was a rational explanation for what was happening. So he installed motion sensors all over the apartment. And one night, the sensor in the hallway went off, and they rushed in to see what it was. But no one was there. And every time the alarms went off, they couldn't find a cause for it. With Estefania gone, the haunting seemed to center around Conception. At night, she started to feel sudden cold. And then she felt an icy hand move over her body, touching her hands and feet. And obviously this would freak her out, so she'd rip off the sheets. But there was never anything there. She also kept hearing what sounded like Estefania calling her. And it often came from the bathroom. It wasn't long before scratch marks started showing up on their walls. And the crosses that they had hung around the apartment would suddenly go inverted. Even the ones that were bolted in place would invert. The shadowy figures lurked through the halls and stood around their beds at night. Conception heard loud knocking noises coming from Estefania's bedroom, and when she went to check it out, all of her late daughter's belongings were thrown around the room. The next night, the family heard the crazy, disturbing laughter of an old man in the hallway. Oh, hell no. Man, that's so so creepy. Time to leave. And after hearing it a few times... They realized that it was Conception's father or Estefania's grandfather. They recognized the laughter. And he was, in fact, fulfilling his promise that he made on his deathbed. If you remember what he said, quote, if I cannot harm you in this life, I will do it in the next. And Conception had no doubt that her father was capable of coming back to terrorize the family from beyond the grave. Yeah, I mean, she would think it was just a joke at the time. I would. I'd be like, ha, 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 all right. (laughs) We'll see. 
But I mean, at this point, it's just getting scary. All these young kids are waking up in the middle of the night with invisible hands grabbing their wrists. Literally being pulled, they're all laying in bed, and these invisible hands would pull them by the wrists and drag them out of bed and slam them into the walls. Oh. Yeah. Like, who the fuck would want to go to bed when you know that's coming? Like, what? Well, you don't know what's coming. It's a different different move every night. Yeah. Damn. There's even one occasion where Maxwell was playing with one of his sons, and he had him on his lap, when suddenly his son was just lifted off of his lap and thrown across the room by an invisible force. Another time, one of their poodles was thrown across the room and hit a wall. Despite their son and dog being thrown into the wall, no one ever suffered any serious injuries, but still, it's definitely enough to scare you. So they decided to move their mattresses into the living room and all sleep together. Sounds like a good plan. And then they shut the door leading to the hallway, locked it, and barricaded it with furniture, including a sofa that had a heavy metal ornament on top. But without warning, a gust of wind went through the apartment and the door flew open that they had just barricaded and tossed everybody and everything across the room. Oh my god, who left the window open? (laughs) Gust of wind (laughs) or evil grandpa. Right? One day, Marianella and her sister watched Frozen in fear as a shadowy figure rearranged all the toys in the room. Everyone saw these shadowy figures at one time or another. And some of them looked like monks walking in a row. Because again, they're, they're saying that these shadowy figures are wearing robes mm-hmm. so i guess that's why they're making them a monk comparison there it's very weird i've never heard of anybody saying they're see- I, I know people see shadowy figures yeah but wearing robes. robes makes me think of a nun too i don't know if that's a robe or not but kind of in the same form good i, I Maybe. guess i mean i guess we don't know if it's yeah. a male or a female <laughs> yeah. so exactly nuns that'd be that'd be crazy <laughs> yeah god <laughs> So on top of all the, the shadowy figures, they're also just hearing voices echoing through every room of the apartment. I mean, things are just absolutely out of control. And the family had finally had enough. So they started looking for some outside help from paranormal investigators. And obviously when they put their story out there, this attracted a lot of opportunists who wanted to just use them to make money or boost their own credibility. And one of the worst offenders was a man named Tristan Breaker. And Tristan Breaker and people like him only made the situation worse. The paranormal activity was worse than ever before, and the family was always left even more afraid and paranoid than before the paranormal investigator came. So they just went in there and just stirred it up even Dude, more. that's terrible. Not even helpful. What the fuck? It's like, oh, I'm just going to see if this is real for yeah, myself. And exactly. Put it on my resume and yep. move on. <laughs> Meanwhile, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck, damn, no. what do you even do, man? Like, yeah. Shit. Because they were told that the bathroom in their home was a fucking interdimensional portal. Oh my god. And that was where the spirits were coming through. They did say that was the most activity it was in there. So so Maximo decided to lock and barricade that door and they actually stopped using their bathroom altogether. Damn. Hopefully they had another bathroom. I don't think they did. <laughs> I think that they uh, you know, used it as sparingly as possible. Damn. And if they did have to go, they would take a buddy to go. Yeah. But this Tristan Breaker guy presented himself as a paranormal investigator and a ghostbuster. And Conception really hung on his every word and believed that he could be, you know, the one that saves them from this nightmare. So him and his team broadcasted their investigation actually on a news program in October of 1992. And after a series of bizarre interviews and demonstrations, he claimed the house was clean. It's clear and that the family would now be safe. But during this news report, a medium claimed to be possessed by Conception's father. She said that he was the one that was haunting the family. But Estefania's spirit was actually trying to protect them, like going to war with their grandfather. At one point during the investigation, they also picked up audio of a female voice saying, Beware, grandfather. We'll play that. At the end of the day, though, Tristan Breaker and his paranormal team really didn't do anything to help comfort the family at all. He actually told them that they were being haunted by a demon named, can't believe this is the name, 
Crapula. <laughs> Crapula. <laughs> okay. Can we take a second and just, yeah. if, if a paranormal investigator said, your family is being haunted by a demon named Crapula. <laughs> it's literally spelled crap. Yeah. Pula. This demon's literally taking a crap on the family. Crapula. <laughs> I would be like, what? I would be like, that sounds like a bunch of crap <laughs> to me. <laughs> like, come on. Like, yeah. That name, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Show that's me a in the demon name. book where that name is. Yeah. But this freaked out the family, of course. I mean, he t- tells them there's a demon that's, possess- you know, God. inhabiting the home, haunting them. He did nothing to de-escalate this family's like no. issue at all. No. No, it just made him even more fearful, more scared. Stirring the pot. Yep. So Conception was very eager to get physical proof of the haunting, especially since her husband still was skeptical. Probably was even more skeptical after the, you know, he told him that it was Crapula that was haunting them. So she decided that, you know what, I'm going to try to capture some footprints in the hallway. I'm going to spread flour across the floor. And sure enough, the next day, there was footprints from a man's shoe that were tracked through the flower. Now, we don't know for sure if this was just Maximo, but apparently Maximo said it wasn't him. So, and strange. If it, and if it's the same boot that was actually imprinted on their bodies at one point, then that's, that, true. that's a match. Maybe it is, you know, their well, grandfather that's yeah. rolling around in their apartment. Loves those boots. She also did another test, though, one time before they left for a short trip. She tied all the doors with cords. And when they got back from their trip, all the cords were broken i mean that's definitely a sign of something happened mm-hmm. but then in november 1992 things started to escalate again marianella and her sister saw a faceless shadowy figure it was dark and covered in spikes and it crawled Ugh. along the floor of their room and as it crawled it threw toys out as it got closer and closer to them it's terrifying the girls tried to turn on a lamp but they were shaking way too much to even turn the switch. But when they finally got the light on, this figure disappeared. Still absolutely frightened, they screamed for their parents. And when they came in, they saw toys thrown everywhere and that their daughters were scared to death. On November 19th, 1992, the dark, spiky, shadowy figure returned. But this time, the whole family saw it crawling through the hallway. They were so terrified that they ran to the front door of the apartment building and then saw a ball bouncing toward them. Maximo picked up the ball and threw it. And without hitting anything, the ball turned around in midair and flew back toward them. On top of that, the air around them turned ice cold. And at 2 a.m. that night, Maximo ended up calling the National Police for help. He screamed to the police dispatcher, please come quick, he is in here. He explained that one of his daughters had died and now something was happening in his house. Crucifixes were inverted and claw marks were seen on the walls. He couldn't explain how these things were happening, but he was clearly panicked. The dispatcher asked him to put his wife on the line, thinking maybe that he was just drunk or something. But when Conception told the exact same bizarre story and was just as scared, the dispatcher was like, alright, parents must be drunk, let me get the kids on the phone. And two of the kids she spoke to confirmed everything that their parents had said. So they dispatched five police officers, including the chief inspector, Jose Negri. And when they arrived, they found the family standing outside the apartment building in the freezing cold rain. And they were all terrified to death. And they weren't willing to go back inside. Three of the police officers convinced Maximo to lead them inside, though, along with his son, Ricardo. The other officers stayed out in the hallway with Conception and the rest of the kids. She told them a demon named Crapula was haunting them, and it wandered the halls wearing a red cape. After an initial inspection, nothing seemed out of the ordinary, so the officers brought the rest of the family inside. Conception told them that they wouldn't see anything unless it was dark. So, with the police officers in their apartment, they all turned the lights off, and sure enough, almost instantaneously, they started hearing loud banging sounds coming from different parts of the apartment. One of the officers got scared, clearly, and turned the light back on. And everyone was still standing in the same place. So, you know, he probably was thinking, okay, one of the kids got to be running, you know, knocking on the walls throughout the apartment. But nope, everybody was still in the same place they were before. 
So the officers went to see, you know, where these sounds were actually coming from. Some were coming from the parents' bedroom, and they heard a loud sound coming from the balcony, almost like someone had dropped a boulder. And then they heard screaming. And when they got onto the balcony, no one was there. And they looked around and again found absolutely nothing. But then the officers came back inside and they noticed a strange brown slime on the table in the living room that hadn't been there before. It was smeared across the tablecloth next to the phone on the table. As the chief inspector, Jose, should have ordered his officers to take a sample of this slime, they didn't. Yeah, what? Their excuse is that they're all just on edge, not thinking clearly, but scared. Slime like that is so unique. Like when I've never seen like slime randomly appear. If I did, I'd be like, yeah, what is that? Right. Of course they did not. There's no proof of that at Mm. all. But while they were talking to the family in the living room, the door of a small closet swung open and closed by itself. One of the officers even drew his gun and pointed it at the closet, waiting for someone or something to pop out. But no one ever did. Jose inspected the closet and the furniture around it, and there was nothing that would have caused the store to just open and close like that. But then, two officers were standing in another room near a locked wardrobe when one of them yelled, Duck! The other hit the ground just in time as a heavy door of the wardrobe swung open violently. And if this officer hadn't moved, it would have absolutely smashed him in the skull. By now, four of the officers had enough and were like, I'm getting the fuck out of here and I'll wait outside. Jose and the remaining officers kept looking around the apartment. And that's when they heard a banging sound coming from the room where Estefania had slept. They watched as a crucifix that was bolted to the wall, mind you rotate until it was upside down then it broke off of the wall and flew across the room one of the kids picked it up when it hit the floor and hung it behind the door suddenly three claw marks appeared next to it as if it had been attacked by a wild animal strangely conception and maximo had seen the claw marks before the police arrived and mentioned it on the call but when the officers first inspected the room they weren't there they had somehow magically reappeared. Conception told them to check the bathroom because that was a place of high activity. So they moved the barricade and unlocked the door. When they went in, there was a noticeable sudden drop in temperature. They all felt as if an icy winter storm had just come through the bathroom and they heard whispers echoing around the room. Jose has even said that he'll never forget the cold and discomfort of being in that bathroom. At 3 a.m., an hour after they had arrived, Jose called the dispatcher to report back. He said he had no explanation for what was happening in that apartment, but something was terrorizing the Gutierrez family that made his hair stand on end. He said that there's clearly a series of phenomena that can't be explained. And for the first time ever, Jose filed an official police report concerning the paranormal activity he witnessed in the home. And there's actual pictures of the police report. And maybe we'll see if we can find a paper copy so we can translate it, but it's pretty interesting. The dispatcher had actually recorded everything Jose had told her during the call. He explained the circumstances around Estefania's death and what the family experienced before and after, and he gave a detailed account of what the officers had experienced in the apartment, even mentioning the demon Crapula. And obviously, you know, most police officers like think they're they're tough and you know not going to get scared easily but apparently that night every officer who was there saw and felt things they couldn't explain doors opening and closing on their own voices whispering through the halls banging and knocking sounds coming from empty rooms jose was an experienced officer had responded to murder scenes and inspected dead bodies in all sorts of disturbing states but nothing impacted him like what he witnessed that night because this was a normal family maximo and conception were honest people and loving parents So whatever was happening in the apartment had been going on for a long time, and it had clearly, deeply affected every member of that family. After the police left that night, things got a little bit better, but the haunting continued. And one of the strangest, most terrifying things happened on November 1st, 1993, All Saints Day. It had been over two years since Estefania had died, and since then a picture of her hung in the living room. But that day... Conception walked in and found it face down on the floor. And when she picked it up, she screamed in disbelief as the photo burned her hands. She was shocked to see that only the picture, though, 
was actually burned. The frame itself was fine, and the glass was cracked, but it was still intact. But there was a large scorch mark right on Estefania's face. And there's actually a picture of this, which is actually wild uh-huh. to think about if this really just spontaneously caught fire right in the middle of, of the picture frame. And Conception looked all over. Nothing else had been knocked down in the room or burned. And it was clear that this picture randomly caught on fire inside of the frame. By 1996, the Gutierrez family had learned to live with the haunting presence in their home. They even started using the bathroom they had once locked up. And all these challenges that they face would tear many families apart, but they actually brought the family together. And it was actually somewhat of a positive experience for them to band together to go through something like this. Positive things even came from them being taken advantage of by Tristan Breaker, who used them to make money and boost his own reputation. But all the publicity did help attract legitimate researchers and parapsychologists. And at this point, there was no longer a financial interest in the family's stories. So they knew that these researchers weren't just looking to make a profit. They were there to actually find legitimate proof of paranormal activity. These investigators set out to use scientific methods to study the home. They reassured the family that they were safe and that nothing could seriously harm them. Some of these researchers didn't find any evidence of paranormal activity, but others did. Iker Jimenez and Lorenzo Fernandez Bueno were journalists who visited the family with their producer in 1996. And their visit was mostly uneventful, except when they went into the bathroom. They both reported feeling a strong negative energy and experiencing vertigo. And the batteries of their camera went from fully charged to dead as they passed through the doorway. Another team set up tape recorders all over the house that picked up two voices a man and a woman. And these voices insulted the investigators that swore at them and told them to leave. In one case, a team of investigators was brought in by a news program to show viewers of what was actually happening in the Gutierrez home. But after two visits, they didn't find any proof of paranormal activity. And when these investigators didn't make things up in order to sensationalize a story, you know, to make a good segment, they actually were reprimanded. But the Gutierrez family actually appreciated investigators like this and as it made them feel more, you know, calm and normal, that it wasn't constant paranormal activity, not, not everybody that came into the home was experiencing the things they were. By October of 1996, all paranormal activity in the apartment had stopped. This was just after Estefania's body was exhumed and Conception fulfilled her daughter's wish to be buried with a picture of her with her father. Some believe Conception exhumed her body just to put the picture in her coffin but the family claims that they had to remove Estefania's body to move a relative who was buried underneath her. Since she was already exhumed, Conception decided to rebury her with the picture as her daughter wished. But eventually the family moved away and a new family moved into the apartment. And the haunting didn't follow them to their new home and no one who's lived in the apartment since has experienced anything paranormal. The family members now rarely discuss the haunting with each other, but several of them have spoken about it in the media. In 2006, a paranormal investigation show covered the case and interviewed Conception and Maximo. And when they were editing, they picked up a strange audio recorded during the interview. And this voice said, we have not started. Estefania's sister, Maria Nella, actually wrote a book about her experience. And in addition to the book, obviously, like we said at the beginning, there was a Spanish supernatural horror film, Veronica, that was made on it that's on Netflix that's based on her life. They definitely made it a little bit spookier than some of the things that happened in real life, but I mean, still gives you a great visual representation of what this family actually went through. So there's definitely some theories out there about Estefania's death. I mean, it was mysterious or was it not? Because according to doctors, they described her death as sudden and suspicious, but this doesn't necessarily mean it was caused by something paranormal. Based on her symptoms, she may have died from heart failure and pulmonary asphyxia caused by a pulmonary edema but doctors could never find definitive proof so clearly the cause of death in someone this young 18 years old would have been viewed as suspicious because deaths can be labeled sudden suspicious for many reasons even due to natural causes during the autopsy they also did find that there were traces of the drug tegretol that were found in her system but not enough to cause an overdose but since she was prescribed this drug it's likely the doctors believe she had epilepsy but she never had a formal diagnosis so her parents might not have attributed any of her bizarre symptoms to this disorder. I think that's like a big point here is that oh, yeah. 
you know, if we remove the paranormal activity, the grandfather and all that for a second, the Ouija board, and you look at this case in this light, you really see that it's very possible that and probable that her death was a result of epilepsy that just was undiagnosed and Mm -hmm. untreated for a long time and or she wasn't getting the proper treatment for it. And that's what resulted in her death as opposed to being tormented and possessed to death. Right. It's always, you know, it's always the mystery here. It's like, which one is it? Definitely. Others have said that Estefania could have had carbon monoxide poisoning. Consistent low carbon monoxide exposure can cause seizures, hallucinations, erratic behavior, nausea, dizziness, muscle weakness, and impaired brain function. I don't know. That's kind of bullshit. Like just well, be, just because everyone in the house. Yeah, would, and why didn't they all drop dead? I mean, if they're all being exposed at the same rate, yeah, then, they would all go. Yeah. Another theory that's out there is exposure to toxic mold. Uh, mold toxicity is actually a very common cause of psychiatric symptoms that would look like a possession to some people. It's crazy what toxic mold can do to the brain. Like black mold, you always hear about black mold being super dangerous. I mean, oh, it can yeah. really fuck up your brain if you're exposed to it. Uh, so that that's definitely another possibility. Mm-hmm. But then on November 9th, 1996, a research team did a series of psychological and parapsychological tests on conception. And their goal is to find the origin of the poltergeist. And the tests found that conception suffered from several serious mental health issues likely caused by the prolonged stress of Estefania's illness. And they already said like epilepsy runs in the family. So clearly there might've even been mental illness that runs in the family as well. Yeah. They also reported that conception was very emotionally unstable, aggressive, immature, anxious, and neurotic. And they basically said that she was obsessed with getting constant attention. Like she needed that. So Mm -hmm. it makes sense why she constantly wanted people to come over and validate what she was experiencing yeah but but the kids too like that's the thing is i always go back to the kids like why would the kids just be going along with this whole narrative of you know my parent my my mother sick my older mm-hmm. sister sick and i don't know it just doesn't make sense all of the things all the other things that were happening like why would they yeah. just lie about that right and she had like very positive energy like bubbly like yeah seemed like a great person and the whole Estefania. Yeah, yeah and the whole family just saw like a night and day difference of just right. negativity right swarmed her and so and i'm like even like when we were just talking about these theories i'm like in my head i'm like wouldn't that consistently keep her temperament the same like if she was consistently exposed to toxic mold or uh had some sort of mental I guess there could be multiple layers to that, mm-hmm. but it just seems like if it were one of those theories, a natural cause that maybe her behavior would have been more consistent, would have been less like, you know, night or day type of yeah. 50-50 situation. But I don't know. I mean, obviously I'm not an expert, so I guess it's po- anything is possible. Yeah, it's possible. At the end of their study, these researchers deemed conception an unreliable witness to paranormal activity. The other family members were reliable witnesses, but researchers theorized about how much they could have been influenced by their mother. This could have been some type of mass hysteria event within this one family where the delusions of one are experienced by everyone in the household. Mass hysteria is a very real thing. It just means madness for two. It's a mental disorder where two people share the same delusions or have a shared psychotic disorder. I know there are several different events in in history of mass hysteria where a bunch of people all together think something crazy is happening and and in fact it's not happening because one person or two people get together and decide Uh something horrible is happening then the whole rest of the group jumps on board because like oh these two are experiencing this yeah we're all experiencing it now gotcha It's, it's kind of a very very simple breakdown of mass hysteria kind of like a placebo effect in a sense sort of yeah okay yeah sort of i mean it's like well for everybody else it's yeah. a placebo effect, right but then for the two people that started the hysteria it's real to them mm-hmm. but it may not actually physically be real gotcha to them it's real but in physical reality it's not uh, okay it's it's a very weird concept to yeah. wrap your head around but this has definitely happened throughout history and when it happens in a family unit it's actually called family madness so a dominant person or the head of the family kind of triggers it for the rest of the family members mm. and the children. 
So they believe that these delusions could have been triggered by Conception's fear and paranoia around the Ouija board. That after that happened, she just automatically assumed that that was it was a haunting. It was her grandfather. It was Estefania, mm-hmm. basically fighting with them to protect her family. And yeah. that's kind of what created this whole story. Gotcha. So it was like what she had in her head of what was actually right. happening kind of manifested and became real. Right. Exactly. Gotcha. And that Dima, you know, that there was, there was this demon, mm-hmm. Crapula. Yeah. Like she could have literally just made that up. Oh, and yeah. Like just spread that and everybody else started. Right. It. What's also interesting though is that the Gutierrez family may have had a history with the paranormal long before this Ouija board incident ever even occurred. One of the daughters actually remembers an incident in a previous home of theirs where the family was watching TV one night and all of a sudden it shut off and they all witnessed basically the likeness of a dead person on the actual screen itself. A psycho image is also what it's called. And after this incident, the daughter claims that they moved to the apartment where the Ouija board incident occurred. But after the police report was filed, the officers involved, including Chief Inspector Jose Negri, were ridiculed and mocked by their coworkers. And they all insisted that they were telling the truth, but quietly let the matter drop until retirement. But after Jose retired, he went from skeptic to believer and has now spoken out about what they had experienced in the Gutierrez home over the years. After Maximo passed in 2018, two of Estefania's brothers, Ricardo and Maximiliano, spoke publicly about their family's experience. They claim that Estefania had epilepsy just like their mother, Concepcion, and they insist everything that happened after their sister's death was psychological and resulted from Concepcion's obsession with the paranormal and need to explain Estefania's sudden and tragic death. And they basically went on to say that many of the things that happened in the home that were paranormal was actually caused by them that their brothers were making sounds knocking was them and that it was a mass hysteria situation where maximo who was skeptic from the very beginning and for most of the time that this haunting was happening actually became convinced by his wife that all this was real and kind of fell victim to whatever basically what everybody else was experiencing but the bottom line is is that no matter if this was an actual paranormal haunting or if it was just a a family dealing with you know disease and disorders and you know a mother that is sort of just living in an alternate reality i mean it's still a horrifying story for all involved i mean it's traumatic you know to even have imagine having a mother like telling you that there's a demon with this name that is yeah. causing all this it's you know your your sister who just passed from epilepsy uh-huh. i mean i would believe it that's coming from my family coming you know? back and is also participating in the paranormal activity yeah. i mean it's just a huge cluster of uh-huh. of emotions and feelings and i mean you're grieving the loss of your sister and your daughter and on top of this you're having this paranormal you know oh yeah lots of poltergeist activity yeah. and so much shit going on so it's I, at the end of the day i mean it's it, unless everybody's in on it i mean maybe there was some things that were really paranormal mm-hmm. you know well, activity what stood out to me the most in this story was you know after the ouija board and the glass broke that smoke that rose out of those glass shards like, right I can't get my mind off that. Like, what was that? Because that could have been something coming from another universe or, you know, an entity or something making its way in, into her. You yeah. Know? So yeah. I think it ultimately comes down to what you believe at the end yeah. of the day with the, any of these these types of paranormal cases. Because if you believe that the Ouija board has the ability to open a portal, to contact the other side, to, you know, potentially allow for demonic mm-hmm. forces to attach themselves to you then yeah absolutely this could all be real and maybe it just because the mother and estefania are in their mental state is yeah. compromised as a result of this disease that they're fighting right. this disorder that they're fighting that perhaps that's why the paranormal activity was so active and that it was so uh-huh. abrasive and loud is because 
it was just feasting on yeah, uh, it was on feeding this, off on both this energy of, of yeah. Because I mean, oftentimes in paranormal cases, it's there's we, usually a family member that's right. ill or dealing Ill, with some type of one. disorder, illness, or disease, and they're targeted. Fear is yeah. created, and death is near. So, could be just the perfect environment for yeah. a poltergeist or a possession to occur. So Absolutely, I think it's something that you got to. You know, I don't think there's any way to ever know for sure. Yeah, but I think there is a possibility of paranormal. Mm-hmm. definitely forces attaching themselves to you through this Ouija board. And Absolutely. Perhaps with Estefania that just, that could have caused her to meet her death much sooner. Uh-huh. Maybe it accelerated her illness. I mean, yeah, possibly. I think there's a lot of questions still. And again, this case is just hard to research because it's all in Spanish. Yeah, we don't yeah. know any Spanish. We did our best to so try to translation. Like, translate the story uh-huh. and, and hopefully it makes sense to you. But Definitely check out that film, Veronica, if you're looking for a good yeah. spooky movie it, to watch. It definitely will help kind of put this into more uh-huh. perspective for you. And it follows the story really well. It does. Well. It does follow it pretty well. Obviously, uh-huh. it's a little a little bit freakier than, yeah. than like the, that real thing is, but yeah, definitely a good one to watch. But, but, we'll if it, but if anything, though, like what I learned from this story is I'm going to think twice before I use a Ouija board just because. Yeah, don't just like, <laughs> should Joel and I do a Ouija board <laughs> video or episode? Oh, man, I'm going to have to be a certified Ouija guy before I do that. Yeah, or if maybe you're somebody out there who, you know, a lot of people are just like, no, 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 don't. Yeah, ev- don't ever I'm open use to it. it. But like if there's, you know, a guide or there's a book or something that really yeah. like lays it out. I want to do you, it the right way. The proper way to do it. Because. Uh-huh. There's also like, you know, if you are in fact opening up communication with spirit world, mm-hmm. when you're done with it, you have to make sure you close it exactly. behind you. And that's what many people say is the mistake that people make with uh-huh. the Ouija board is they open up something, but then yeah. they forget to shut it. They don't say goodbye. Right. They don't say, well, they all get, right. They get spirit, so freaked like, out and they panic and just run out and then have no idea there's a portal still there. So, and then that's when you open the door for whatever wants to walk. Yep. So I think that's where it gets real, real scary, Mm -hmm. but yeah, let us know what you guys think about it. Let us know your thoughts on the Ouija board. Definitely interested to see uh, those responses, but yeah, we'll go ahead and end today's episode there. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode of the lights out podcast, but until next time lights out.